Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, Boy Wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. I'm not afraid. Yeah. It's been a ride. I guess I had to go to that place to get to this one. Now some of you might still be in that place. If you're trying to get out, just follow me. I'll get you there. You can try and read my lyrics off of this paper before I lay them. But you won't take the sting out these words before I say them. Cause ain't no way I'm gonna let you stop me from causing mayhem. When I say I'm gonna do something, I do it. I don't give a damn what you think. I'm doing this for me. So the world feed it beans. It's gassed up. Everything's are stopping me. I'ma be what I set out to be. Without a doubt, undoubtedly. And all those who look down on me, I'm tearing down your balcony. No way fans of bust, don't try to ask him why. How can he? From infinite down to the last relapse album, he still whether he's on salary, paid hourly Until he bows out or he th his bows out of him Whatever comes first, for better or worse He's married to the game, like a fuck you for Christmas His gift is a curse, forget the earth He's got the earth to pull his from the dirt And the whole universe I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid To take a stand, take a stand Everybody, everybody Come take my hand, come take my hand We'll walk this road together Sawate, I'm your host, Stella, and I'm Kimberly Rockmore, your Watchtower News Correspondent, and this is Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 59 for April MMXIII. Episode 59 is brought to you by this public service announcement. Mom, know you're cooking? No, no one's home but me. She'll know now. Fire! Call the fire department! Not from in there. Walter! If there's a real fire in your house, your first job is to escape immediately. Fire spreads quickly. Call the fire department from outside the house. From a neighbor's phone! You got it. You're both safe. Your advice really hit home. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! Backroll to Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are June's Backroll number 21 and Birds of Prey number 21, both for $2.69. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. <laughs> yes, folks, you heard 
correctly. Uh, you know, my good friend Kimberly Rockmore is back, uh, and she told me, you know, she doesn't really want to talk about where she's been. But hey, man, her job on this podcast is, of course, to talk about the news. So, Kimberly, what is going on? What bits of news do you have for us? It is great to be back here. And no, I don't really want to talk about what has gone down, but just rest assured that I certainly was thinking about all of you at any given moment, and it is a proud moment to really be back here on Backroad Oracle. Now, there are two bits of news, and one is directly related to Backroad Oracle, and just a reminder, folks, that the feed to BTO is in fact changing so you need to go to itunes to get that new feed and remember you're going to the batman universe now to actually uh, connect directly to the podcast to see when it's uploading things like that if you want a direct website link it is the batmanuniverse.net slash category slash podcast slash bto slash feed so remember to keep up to date with all the new episodes that are coming out you definitely need to subscribe the second one is a bit uh more fun news and someone that an artist that has been affiliated with backroad to oracle over the years and of course uh, her first album dropped a couple years ago bubba moose has recently announced that her second and also called sophomore album will be released this summer 2013 so you can in fact look forward to a five single ep uh, that will be coming for download and itunes of course so if you enjoyed bubba moose's first album you can certainly enjoy this second one she will be taking some classics and really reworking them to make it something special as only bubba moose can so be sure to stay tuned for that album to drop sometime this summer and now back to you Stella. Man, it is great to hear those words again. Now back to you. And it's great to hear uh, the wonderful voice of Kimberly Rockmore just back here again. It, it, it's it been an absence, certainly, and people have been asking about her. So it's great. It is great to be back. Uh, no other news, really. Uh, of course, Gail Simone is back on the book. Uh, so perhaps you read number 19, but we will not be talking about number 19 yet. We'll be on 18 this episode, so you can look forward to uh, 19 in episode 60. And whether or not, you know, it's a great return or if it falls short, uh, but we're not there yet so let's first talk about detective comics number 492 vengeance trail the cover date was 1980 writer carrie burkett penciler don newton inker dan atkins and bob smith letterer john costanza and colorist adrian roy also included in this issue are 50 million tons of soul featuring rusty krebs no you did hear me correctly uh we are experiencing a slight delay featuring man bat and the first bird featuring robin Alfred, crying, wakes Bruce up in the morning holding his uniform, saying that he is sure he will want to suit up as soon as Bruce reads the paper. 
Bruce reads the papers with the headline Batgirl slain by an assassin, grabs his uniform and calls Gordon, telling him that the murderer will be caught by that night. But before that, Bats, can you come over to my house? Okay, Commish. And why didn't the commissioner sound like someone who just lost his daughter? Well, because, shocker of all shockers, she's not dead. Batman isn't surprised and Gordon is a little hurt because he wanted to be one up on Batman, as Batman is so often on Gordon. Batgirl then explains that she was in fact shot and fell from the building, but she caught the flagpole that held the Batgirl dummy, held on with one ha arm while she cut the dummy loose and went to fall, uh, called it, hello people, and then hid in the shadows as the assassin looked down. This has really gotten a Batgirl, so much so that she has decided to give up the cowl. Batman wants her father to talk some sense into her, but Gordon actually believes this is a good decision for his daughter. In downtown Gotham, General Scar gives a silver star to the Comorant for carrying out the execution of Batgirl. They then talk about a trap meant for Batman at a costume shop. Later that night, Batman swings to the costume shop, which he found after seeing the label on the Batgirl dummy's outfit. Batgirl considers her father's line of work. Gordon talks about the nightstick from the first years on the beat and explains that he needed to do his part to help people, else he couldn't expect others to do the same. He talks about Batman and how he admires slash pities him and what he thinks about his lonely life, his origin and training, and war on crime as Batman gets ambushed in the costume shop and beats up the perps that were lurking there. Later, Gordon gets a call, tells the caller he will wait for his signal, and then tells Babs that General Scar is the one who set up the kill order on Batgirl. Uh, but Batgirl has no idea who General Scar is, so why has he got this personal an animosity towards her? The perps leave the costume shop and arrive at Scar's, explaining that Batman got away, but he actually didn't. Scar explains that he scanned everyone with an x-ray, and Batman is actually hiding inside the night suit. Scar then decides to take time out uh, to tell his own story. And as a young chap, he read of Caesar. Yes, that's right, Caesar. Uh, Lee, as in Robert E. Napoleon, then lied about his age to join the army. But he basically became a janitor, failed the officer examination, got the scar on his face from a bayonet, and then deserted in order to find his own army. Doesn't he seem like a wonderful guy? We end this chapter with Batman hanging in front of a firing squad. Chapter 2, At War with General Scar. Batgirl, with her arm in a sling, decides she needs to go help Batman out, but is scared, and struggles as she attempts to swing across the city, then decides to hail a taxi to where she needs to go. She remembers the assassin having a security card with a rook on it, which is the symbol of the Crack de Chevaliers building, a place with heavy security. She goes there, knocks the security guard out, hears gunfire, and makes her way up the building. Meanwhile, Batman avoids the gunfire in the secret room that he's locked in, gets out of the chains, and attacks the man in the room. Batman gives a signal to Gordon how he was not searched after he was captured is beyond me. Scar gets away, and Batman gets trapped in a room with miniature tanks and airplanes with actual weapons. Batgirl is two rooms away from Batman, freaking out because she sees her would-be assassin. She gets over her fear when she sees that the Comorant is actually more afraid of her because he believes the Batfolk actually are inhuman. She then knocks him out and then goes in the next room after Scar. Batman happens to be losing strength in the room that he's in. Gordon is trying to figure out which floor to go to. Batgirl bursts in on Scar and takes him out, stopping the toys that are going after Batman, basically saving him, just as Gordon and the GCPD come in to take out the trash. The story ends with Batgirl realizing that she too needs to use her gifts just like her dad. Well, it's been a while since we've had a two-chaptered story, and it's been a while since we've had a Batman and Batgirl team-up, though I don't know if we could call this particular story a team-up, to be honest. 
It's pretty interesting to see Alfred really broken up about Batgirl's death in the beginning because you really don't see many, if any. I really can't recall off the top of my head any interactions between Babs and Alfred or Batgirl and Alfred. Um, though it does make sense that Batman, at, at least at this point, has had some interactions with her and has become close with her. So it is interesting to see uh, how they reacted to this news. I thought it was a little odd, Batman coming through the front door of Gordon's house in the morning. It's not really something that you do, either the front door or the daylight. Uh, then we've got Batgirl's explanation. How is she able to hang on to a flagpole for arm was shot? And she's hanging with one arm. I mean, she's probably a buck 30 because she's taller than I am and, you know, muscular build or at least gymnast. So she's holding with one injured. Ugh, it's ridiculous. I don't believe it. And no, you can't say it was the uh, other arm because it was her right arm if you look at it. So that was the one that was shot. A little dramatic Batgirl wanting to stop fighting crime. Worse things than this have happened to her. Worse things will happen to her. So why is she all of a sudden so frightened that she wants to give it up? Call it quits. Uh, we have a repeated panel, if you catch this, uh, where one of the bad guys calls the general a loony and the other says he has a right since he's the top crime boss. And we actually saw this in the previous issue, 491. So that's interesting. Kind of only see that in cartoons nowadays. We get another pep talk from Commissioner Gordon. So he's doing a good job as a father, but... Uh, apparently, Babs just doesn't listen because the last pep top was when she lost her Congress seat, and now we've got this one. So if she so soon forgot the other one, how long is it going to take her to forget this second pep, pep talk that he gives her? I like the panels where Gordon is talking about Batman and what he thinks of him while Batman is actually in the costume shop and fighting. I just think it's really laid out well. Oh, oh my gosh, this night costume. How is Batman able to get so far as the headquarters in that strange night costume when only one other person of the perps of the bad guys is in costume, you know, like someone from Pirates of Penzance? Wouldn't the other perps think it odd? Wouldn't they realize something was off? And then, of course, conveniently, we have an x-ray scanner uh, that tips Scar off. Of course, doesn't everyone have one of those? Why isn't Batman concerned that he's captured? Surely this wasn't his plan. And why didn't they search him and take his utility belt? Because he's Batman and that's like the first thing you should do. Uh, Scar's backstory. I'm glad we interrupt everything to get his backstory, but I guess I complain when we don't get villain's backstory. You know, he wants to be a soldier, but he deserts and he still thinks he's a good soldier and he's like the best there is. Ugh, what kind of thinking is that? You know, suddenly he's basically the bad version of a, a non-super Captain America. Why does Batgirl all of a sudden decide to go after Scar? Why not just let Batman finish a job? Is this a convenience of the story to help or to have her help Batman? Because really she doesn't know that he's in need. She doesn't know who General Scar is. She doesn't know her father's plan. Where did this all come from in the transition from Chapter 1 to Chapter 2? The hideout suddenly of General Scar turns into X-Mansion with a danger room inside, just things coming out of the wall to attack Batman. Oh, man. And then Babs is paralyzed with fear at the thought of going after her assassin, which does not at all seem like the Batgirl that we've seen Silver Age onwards. This seems like the new 52 Batman, uh, Batgirl that we saw in, in fact, of Batgirl number one, which is terrible. I just don't want to see it in these past issues. So it's just really strange. I mean, I can see her getting shaky because we saw this, you know, when her political career took a nosedive, but she gets over it. I mean, she's a stronger character than that. So to see her acting like this is really weird. 
the Cormoran turns into a coward, I think, too easily for someone with his military career and all of, the, you know, the assassins and to just believe this supernatural nonsense that the bat folk are um, just unnatural beings and, and can't be killed. You know, and this, unfortunately, I think makes Batgirl seem all the more cowardly and weak. But thankfully, Jim Gordon and his advice again comes through. Um, and, and I'm just wondering if this is going to be a recurring storyline where something bad happens and then he comes through and talks to her and it gets better and something bad happens. I enjoyed seeing Batman and Batgirl in the same story, but they're not necessarily working together. Uh, but it is great to see how much Batgirl actually means to the rest of the cast. And how fortuitous that this story actually comes along around the same time that Damien has died in the present comics, because I think that this really resounds there as well. I wonder why Batgirl is starting to be portrayed as a weaker character and consistently second-guessing her self-worth. Are the editors seeing her at the end of her line of stories? Is Are we going to see her come to an end soon? Character assassination, dragging it through the mud? I guess we will see. I gave it 7 out of 10 bats and mainly because I think it was overall better than this next story. Detective Comics number 493, Flames of Fear, August 1980. Writer Carrie Burkett, penciler Jose Delbo, anchor Joe Giella, colorist Adrian Roy, and letterer Todd Klein. Also included in this issue are Riddles in the Dark, featuring Batman, The Face of Humanity, featuring Red Tornado, The Man in Black Wears Green, featuring Robin, and the 18-Wheel War Contract, featuring Human Target. The story opens with Batgirl working out in the GCPD gym, recovering from the injuries she experienced in the previous story. She is ready to get back into action, but is bemoaning the fact that she does not have a place to work out of her own like Batman. Later at her new job at the Humanities Research and Development Center, the group is discussing a new housing plan that the city is considering, and Barton believes this is an unacceptable plan. Babs is bristled by this since people of the neighborhood are in desperate need of low-rent housing. Barton cites the fact that while the HRD is supposed to solve urban problems, it also needs to encourage cultural development in the city, and tearing down the Winston Theater to make room for the housing goes against number two. But a politician like Babs wouldn't understand. Babs says she understands the conflict, but the entire plan should not be scrapped, and she will make a personal investigation of the area and report back tomorrow. On the way out, Babs wonders why Barton continues to battle her when her thoughts are interrupted by Richard, who offers to help her. A short while later, Babs makes her way to the Winston Theater, where she finds protesters outside the theater unable to discuss their grievances. Then she spies a fire, changes into Batgirl, finds two men escaping the scene, and goes after them to investigate when they pull a gun on her. She takes him down, then goes to the fire captain, where a father runs, asking him to save his daughter. His daughter can't move, and it's, of course, Batgirl's fault, because Batgirl was shot and fell from a building, and apparently this is the girl's fault, or this hindered the girl somehow, the girl being the one who was kidnapped by the Comorant. Even though Batgirl is summarily attacked by the father, she goes to help the girl, goes up the side of the building until her line snaps because of the fire, but catches a window and gets inside. She uses foam pellets to smother the flames and makes her way to the girl, who is quite confused since she saw Batgirl die. Aren't we all confused? Batgirl scoops her up and jumps outside onto the trampoline set up by the fire brigade. Do those things really exist? Even now, I wonder, hmm. The issue ends with Batgirl happy to be alive, but knowing there are many questions that need answering. So apparently the previous story uh, with the Comorant and General's car was really important since we have several references made back to it. Uh, first in the gym where she's recovering from her injuries, and then of course with uh, this little girl. 
you know, and speaking of this little girl, I'm a little surprised that it's revealed that the girl was actually younger, um, who was kidnapped by the Comorants, and she certainly appears of age in 491. She just sort of seemed like a teenager or a young adult. But apparently she's in some sort of hyper case of shell shock, and I wonder how realistic that is. Perhaps the editors went back and de-aged her so it would all make sense, but I guess if I saw somebody get shot and fall from a building, I guess that would cause some damage but I don't know if I would be like comatose like this but hey she is a little girl here but of course it's Batgirl's fault that that all happened how ironic that this incident and you know the state of the girl that she's paralyzed is blame on Batgirl and this is something that we continue to see in the new 52 and yes I say continue because it happened in issue one and folks it happens again I'm just not going to spoil it but really you know shouldn't the father be partially to blame how did how did the little girl get kidnapped in the first place maybe if you were doing your job your parental duties then uh, your daughter wouldn't have been kidnapped by some psycho in a military outfit who knows how strange that the father's taken aback uh, that Batgirl is going to try to help his daughter he's like wait you are no, I mean, she's just going to let her burn even after you made all those insults. What kind of person do you think Batgirl is? Why was this girl so destroyed by Batgirl seemingly dying? Wouldn't it have been in the news that Batgirl is, you know, working again? She's out and about, one would think. Who knows? I mean, it's been revealed that Damien, well, that Robin at least is dead in the New 52. So I would think that the press would get a hold of this. I wonder if the bat line shouldn't be stronger and withstand the fire. She makes a comment like that, but I feel like she should already have something like that in her, her belt. I wonder why we're having all these fire stories all of a sudden. We've got Firebug in the New 52. We, you know, we had Huntress stuff and fire going on. It's fire, fire everywhere and not a drop to burn yourself with. I, I don't know. You know, but if we can talk about the HRD business again, well, first of all, the old theater sort of reminds me of a theater um, around where my parents lived, the Grandin Theater. And you do have to really respect these sort of towns that are historical and that they have monuments like this. And I do certainly agree with Barton to a certain extent that you definitely need to not take down cultural artifacts and, and items and historical architecture like that. So there's got to, but there has to be some way. I don't think you can completely scrap it. So I definitely go with Batgirl, Wolbabs, that they need to find some way uh, to do some low-rent housing for the people out there. So we're not, I guess we're inching towards learning more about Babs's second life and just HRD and this cast of character. Barton just seems like a total jerk. Reminds me of one of the lawyers, like I said before, in the Huntress storylines that I was reading. I feel like he's probably going to be up to no good. But I do also wonder about this Richard guy. Is he too good to be true? He's certainly not as attractive as Babs makes him out to be, but potato, potato, I guess. One man's Paul Walker may be another man's... Uh, <laughs> Kermit the Frog, I don't know. Uh, so, I, we'll, we'll see. I, I want to see her more in her real life, I guess, her day-to-day, -day and see how she's coping from not being a politician anymore. And I guess this is this is the start of it. But really, you know, this there wasn't really much substance to this story at all. We just have Batgirl recuperating. She goes to work for a little bit. She gets a particular task, which she really takes herself, doesn't even talk to her boss about it. And as soon as she starts investigating, she gets sidetracked. So it's an interesting way of keeping a story uh, go on for as long as possible. But it's going to be really frustrating if 
you're like getting little bits of information on this entire storyline uh, each issue so this is 10 pages who knows if we will uh, see more next time so six out of ten bats just not not the best hopefully we get more substance in the next issue and hopefully no more fire because I feel like we've had many fire storylines well, I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I will review Batgirl 18 and Birds of Prey 18. And now, Zias's Radio Hour, featuring Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice. Like a vandal, light up a stage and wax a chump like a candle. Dance, caress the speaker that booms. I'm killing your brain like a poisonous mushroom. Deadly, when I play a dope melody, anything less than the best is a felony. Love it or leave it, you better gain weight. You better hit bulls out of kid, don't play. If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it. So I continue to A1A
out of here. Word to your mother. Welcome back. Let me ask you this, friends, listeners. Now, you may kind of know me, I guess, to a certain extent, just from listening to me for these three years, but sometimes I have like these fits of laughing and, and craziness, and I promise you I am on no substances, and I, you know, I don't drink. And, you know, just take, for instance, if you listen to the Batman Universe or last year's, I think, uh, April Fool's where Joker took over, right? And then Joker talks and just that craziness that I just couldn't stop it. When people do that, do you just, do you wonder about them? Do you, are you concerned for them? What are your feelings? Do you want to laugh along? I just had this really fun experience where, uh, I, you know, I... <laughs> Sorry, it makes me laugh even now. But, uh, you know, there's a particular family. I I work with uh, the father, and I've taught, or am teaching, I suppose, slash taught, uh, two of the children. And so they invite me over sometimes for for food, and and good time is had by all, and normally, you know, games and everything. I don't think after this, this past experience that I will ever be invited over again. But I do have to say that it was it was just enjoyable and you know I guess my question is do you ever find quotes or like certain moments that you cannot forget and so either you keep repeating those moments in your head and they still make you laugh or you keep repeating quotes over and over and really it 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 just never gets it never gets tired because that happens to me sometimes and I I guess I'd have to go into a full length story on what goes down but uh, they're just, you know, blessings, blessings to you and to that family, just because I, I think when you encounter those moments that just can bring a smile to your face, even like in your darkest woes, I think that those are the moments. Those are some of the moments and perhaps the reasons why we have these really dark moments in our lives and these pits of depression because if you don't know what low is and the bottom sort of that you can fall and feel then how do you know what you know true happiness feels like and uh it was just it was just really funny but you know it's getting close i have to go and record uh, a podcast for the batman universe collected edition and uh so it's almost time for me to leave and the father says kids after after uh, miss leaves i'd like you to go to your room and i was just thinking man this it's been sensory overload for this family and he's got to go in and shut the blinds and put on a siesta mask and listen to enya and just needs to get away from the world so i made fun of him a little bit about that but uh we shall see i'll keep you updated if i ever get invited back to that house ever again because it was it was pretty chaotic but i you know if anything you know single life is is difficult sometimes and you want someone to to be with you i guess or it's more difficult not because of the romantic side but just because like you you're just you know you're by yourself but i really encourage you if you are single to really 
almost put yourself out there. I'm not suggesting go to bars or anything, but I actually joined uh, a, you know, a Christian's 20s group on Meetup, and I've made some good friends there. You know, and the first time is always the toughest because you're just you just got to put yourself out there. But uh, it, it's moments with this family that just make um, I don't know. You, you just got to find the blessings in life and, and they are certainly one of them that just forget all the troubles that you sort of go through and, and have fun for, for even if it's just, you know, three hours of laughing constantly with basically no air. Um, so that's just a little pause that I, I just wish you all the best. You know, I don't know you personally, but I do from uh, the bottom of my heart wish you the best. And uh, I hope you're having a wonderful start of spring and everything and, and just finding uh, joy and blessings wherever you can, even if you're having a tough time in your life. Because so, it's not easy over here. I just have to say that, you know, going through some things as well. And you just sometimes have to not dwell on the problems that you're going through you gotta gotta look at the bright side of things or else it's miserable you really can't focus on the negative and I know people say that and they don't understand but I promise you I understand and it's true it's hard but you do have to do it and I think if you're able to find sort of a peace with what's going on or a peace with yourself or a zen as Donovan likes to say then I think uh, you've reached a good point. But hey, let's get away from whatever this is. What is this? Buddha? Buddhism? Who knows? You know, I decided to go light some incense and it's burning up my house now. And maybe it just sent me into some sort of tailspin like the, the Sybil inhaling some incense. So let's get to Batgirl. Batgirl number 18, Mask of Ashes. This is Ray Fox's final issue. Writer Ray Fox, Pensor Daniel, Sempere, Inkers, R. Hunter, M. Deering, V. Fuentes, and J. Alberon. I just have to say, what in the world? Why is it necessary to have four Inkers? Why couldn't one person do the job? What in the world? And colorist blonde. You see, one colorist, one. James Jr. looks on as a building explodes with Batgirl inside. And other onworkers tried to decide whether Batgirl should burn or not. A second explosion basically raises the building to the ground, trapping Batgirl. Several citizens try to dig her out, even James Jr., saying that she will not die this way. And Batgirl finally emerges. Later at GCPD lockup, one of the clowns recently arrested tells Bullock that he will get his one day. Gordon appears and Bullock brings him up to date on who was captured and who was lost at the scene when Gordon gets a text from Batman Batman doesn't really seem like the guy in a guy to text to meet on the roof. We next see Gordon calling Barbara and telling her that he loves her. Of course, this makes Babs concerned and wondering what happened. Inside Batgirl's van, a bandage Babs listens as her father tells her that Robin is dead. She calls Dick, but he is too busy to talk and tells her to call him later. Does he really mean that? Who knows? She gets back to work, scraping particulates from a brick from the building, trying to learn something about the materials used to make the explosion, and therefore trying to learn something about Firebug. Babs' phone rings again, and it happens to be James Jr., who tells her that he was there and digging for her, and he could have ended it had he been the one to find her first. Ironic. Isn't it ironic? Babs is ready for James and just wants him to name the time and place. He says he has some things to get in order first, and then he will be ready for her. 
Batgirl goes to find Firebug while James returns to the hospital to see that his mother has checked out. He is upset. Batgirl goes to a military surplus store and finds Firebug working on his suit. He tries to set off a grenade or smoke bomb thing, but Batgirl puts some goo on his hand to keep the bomb stuck there. This suddenly reminds me of Steph and one of her um, goo batterings, which makes me sad. They fight, and he attaches a grenade to one of grenade to one of her gauntlets she then attaches the gauntlet to his armor and takes off the glove she knocks him and then goos that grenade too and calls gcpd to pick him up now that firebug is down batgirl's new objective is to find james she goes to an abandoned neighborhood into a derelict house making her way downstairs where she happens upon a bat pinned to the wall with knives kind of like that scene in uh Halloween. Saying, hello, Barbara. Barbara. Nice try. We see James in a house, seemingly across the street from the derelict house, with blood on his hands, making it seem like he killed the occupants of the current house that he is in. Saying that it is his turn, calls his mom and says he went to visit her. He says that he's looking at Barbara right now, and if Babs Sr. doesn't meet him at the Gotham Bay Aquarium at 5 p.m. tomorrow, then Babs will be killed, and the commish will be made to eat her in some random take on an old classic Greek myth. Next, Batgirl murderer. Well, again, we've got James seemingly coming to the rescue, if only to kill her later on. Again, why? This... This is the second time this is happening. Oh, man. You know, I don't know. Originality basically only happens once. You only have to put something forth once. It doesn't have to be repeated. I'm also getting the Spider-Man vibe again as people don't know whether to help her or let her die. What kind of people are you to even say anything like, that person should burn? Really? Now, as the building got destroyed and raised, I do wonder how Firebug was able to get out if Batgirl, who was actually really close to the window, was not. Again, thinking that it's weird that Batman texts the commissioner, that the commissioner hasn't even heard about death of Robin in the papers. And why do you think Batman is telling Gordon? You know, does he want someone to talk to since apparently he can't talk to his own family? He's really upset with Alfred. Who knows? Why does Gordon call Babs? Is it just because she is his daughter as Robin was Batman's son? Or does he know something more? I don't know. And Babs doesn't seem too beat up about Damien, does she? I mean, she doesn't really cry. Maybe she gets somewhat emotional. On a scale from 1 to 10, it looks like a 2 to 3. What a brief moment. So is this cover really worth it? The solicitations were really big about all the death of, of Damien, Wayne, Robin covers. And we talked about this on the Batman universe. And it's just like there's one for Catwoman and all these things. And a lot of them just don't really apply. And this was one of the ones that really just does not apply as well why doesn't she call bruce is the death of the family issue really that bad that she can't call him you know i i think a death begs you to drop everything and really help someone out and i think that a person's true character comes out in situations like this and right now babs's character is falling flat i think this would have been the best story really for steph and i'm not saying that as a person who loves steph and and is really torn out that she's not here but to have babs 
trying almost to feel sorry for Damien. It just doesn't feel right whatsoever. It'd be a different story if it were Tim because she had a close relationship with him or Dick. But Steph, Steph was the one who knew Damien well. And she was the one who was trying to really get him to be, you know, the 10-year-old boy that he was and not this assassin, right? To actually live life and, and have fun and experience what fun is. And I think she would have been as equally affected as Dick, but Babs, no. I do wonder, you know, Babs calling Dick first. I, what is the relationship like? You know, he tells her he's busy and to call him back. What exactly is he doing that he's so busy? I thought she didn't want anything to do with him. And he obviously, yeah, I don't, I don't. It's very confusing. Who knows? There's so many distractions going on in Batgirl right now as in the, the book, you know. But at least Batgirl can put James Jr. to the side for a moment and focus on Firebug. So I do appreciate that. Whether that's realistic or not, at least she's able to get the job done. I like the investigative slash CSI work that she does in order to find the army surplus store that Firebug has holed up in, really showing her intelligence there. And, of course, the, f the, the fight that James and Babs are planning really seems like some sort of schoolyard tussle. Name the time and place. Who says that now? How can nurses not notice a new doctor? Or is it really as easy to get into a hospital and pretend to be a healthcare provider as it seems in Pretty Little Liars? Maybe I should try one day and see if I get arrested. And then I can podcast from inside of a jail cell and tell you that no, no, it's not as easy. But apparently it is in fiction, I guess. That's why they called fiction. Batgirl fights well against Firebug, but it does beg the question of how realistic that was. Since he was military trained and she's just a ballerina, and doesn't have her gymnastic skills anymore. She has some smart moves, but I just wonder if he could have taken her out rather than the other way around and just an easy way to get rid of the character after two-issue arc. Then Batgirl goes to some random neighborhood through a tracking of James' phone call. The narration says that the whole neighborhood has gone south, but I do wonder how there are still nicer houses there, and especially the one James is sitting in has a really nice child's room, and someone was obviously living there. James narrates all the ways he could have killed Babs as she made her way through the house and I actually have to agree with him the narration doesn't really show how crazy he is as much as it shows that she was really not careful as she made her way through the bat pinned like a butterfly reminds me of the black mirror by Snyder uh, since James stabbed both of Babs's legs if you recall that I do it gives me nightmares still as she sat in her wheelchair Basically, James is going above and beyond his normal crazy psycho nature and is seeming like some sort of tantalus mixed with Hannibal Lecter, you know, making his dad eat babs. So this is Fox's final story, and I wonder if he knew where Simone was going to pick up or if she had to follow his lead this time, which, who knows, it seems like Simone trumps everyone now. This particular issue was not as strong as the previous, and in fact, even the narration seemed to drag, which I, you know... I appreciate the narration in the previous issue, but not as much here. I don't particularly like the death of Damien Swift in just to have it in there. I think there needs to be a purpose and more emotion behind it. And Babs just doesn't have enough of a connection with him to make it worthwhile. Uh, so, you know, a hearty farewell to, Haw uh, to Fox. You know, he did... Well, he gave it a good effort. I, I mean, I guess it was an okay job. It was only two issues, so I don't know if I can really say more than that. But uh, I'm interested to see where Simone picks up um, and how she does as she picks up the trail of James Jr. I'm going to give this 6 out of 10. 6 out of 10 bats.
And that brings us to our final book, Birds of Prey number 18, Burning Cold. Nice little uh, oxymoron there. Writer Christy Marks. So this is Christy Marks's first issue here on the book after... Swarzynski, Pensor Romano Molinar, Inker Vicente Sefuentes, and colorist Chris Sotomayor. Somewhere in Gotham, at the lab of Victor Freeze, a.k.a. Mr. Freeze, we see an unmasked Talon half-stuck in some ice with icicles pinning his hands to his shoulders. Off-panel, Freeze is threatening more cold, since that is what really puts the Talons down, unless he is given information. The Talon refuses, and Freeze gets someone off-panel to destroy him and says that the next Talon will be dealt with in a different manner. Later, at Black Canary's dojo, Batgirl and Black Canary, don't call them Babs and Dinah, around the new members, discuss Condor and Strix staying at Dinah's dojo while Ev creeps against a wall. Dinah is still uneasy about Strix, and for good reason, as we see Condor and Strix sparring, and Strix is holding nothing back, destroying one of Dinah's mirrors. Rut row, will an evil mirror person come out? Wah, wah, wah. Dinah tells her to get in control, which apparently Strix takes offense at, because she goes at Dinah destroying a punching bag before Batgirl is able to stop her. What's up with that? Apparently, she's hungry. Condor is helpful and talks about making omelets. I guess omelets are the new waffles of 2013. Batgirl checks out. Ev confronts Dinah about her issues. Dinah tells her there's nothing to talk about, and Ev won't return until she will. Dinah goes to a diner and speaks with a 99-year-old named uh, Grandma Walton. Just kidding, Miss Eddie, who tells her that forgiveness has to begin with the person that you see in the mirror every day, which actually is a very good quote there. Dinah takes this short conversation with her back to the dojo, where the others quickly begin arriving, saying that they got a text message from Dinah. Suddenly, the dojo becomes freezing, and the ceiling collapses, bringing Mr. Freeze down with it. The birds go to work. Ev's hands with guns in them are frozen and she is knocked out. Dinah is frozen in a block of ice until she screams her way out. Condor uses his TK telekinesis to knock Freeze slightly out. Uh, and what does Freeze want? Well, he wants Strix, the Talon. He tries to convince them that of course she means nothing to them, so why risk their lives? Batgirl asks Condor to thin out the mist, and while he struggles to do that, the team realizes that Starlane is gone. They check her phone, which was left behind, and find that Freeze is asking for a trade in one hour. Next, a cold day in hell. So this is the first issue with Marks. And while there is a slight difference in writing, I think, you know, for the most part, we can always tell that it's really not noticeable if you don't see that she was writing it. So seamless transition, which I, I applaud. I think it would be difficult for readers only of this particular comic not to know what Freeze's history is with the Talons. Without any editorial note, it seems quite random as to why he is kidnapping and torturing Talons. Will his motivations be clearer in the next issue for those who haven't read Night of the Owls? And what is the info that he wants? He was actually used by the court in the Night of the Owls crossover. He, that's where he was introduced. Um, but I want to see if they give us backstory. So... I don't have to go and explain, unless you want me to explain, but I'll hold off on that. Who is the person in the shadows with Dr. Freeze? <laughs> what if it's Ev? I mean, it's definitely someone with an attitude and gun happy, and doesn't that describe Ev to a T? What a weird comment from Dinah that they shouldn't use real names around Strix and Condor. Um, are they on your team now? That seems a little dysfunctional. And what a dramatic slash stupidly comical scene that Strix goes baddie and that explains that she's hungry. I mean, and then we have Condor acting like Rachel Ray. 
did we just switch to some sort of 60s TV show? Waltons in the dojo? <laughs> Donna still isn't fessing up about the power issues, and this is getting to the point that I'm thinking the writers don't even know what's up. And if the writers don't know, then we will never know. It's... It, oh, I want some answers, people. Then Donnie goes to the diner. She's got this conversation with an old lady. And I don't know about you, but I don't personally lay all my issues out on the table. Is anyone beyond forgiveness? That, you know, that's honestly a deep question. And such a deep question that I would probably harass my department chair's wife with it. Because uh, I enjoy asking her deep questions about things. But, you know, I've known her for a year or so. Not five minutes. Don't really ask. I don't know. Because when you ask questions like that, people will get you funny. But I guess she's been around 99 years that nothing's really going to face her. It's a little convenient that Freeze could somehow contact all the birds. Where'd he get that technology? Which points even more towards Ev being on the inside and perhaps Freeze working with Waller, if you think about that. Uh, the Talons would be a threat to national security after all. The fight is well choreographed and cool things, no pun intended, happen. But I do wonder how none of the people have their bodies shattered once they are in ice and they fall. Do you remember Mortal Kombat and the guy is frozen by Sub-Zero and then he kicks him and he, whoosh, he explodes. Maybe Don and I are the only ones who like Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat! So while we have yet another storyline starting up and all these ends are still straggling and hitting me in the face and choking my, me and, and all this business, you know, this story seems to be somewhat strong and interesting. Before it's over, however, there are some questions that really need to be answered, uh, especially involving motivations and, and freeze and everything. So I look forward to seeing what Marx has to offer the series. I give this a strong 8 out of 10 birds. Next up we have Babs in the Tube. <laughs> Remember, this is the segment where I examine an individual appearance of Barbara Gordon in the media, whether it be TV or film, and currently I'm watching the 1966 Batman TV series. No Jacob, Grandma Walton's not on this episode, but soon. Uh, this is episode 117, season 3, episode 23, I'll be a mummy's uncle. I'll be a mummy's uncle. M-U-M-M-Y, people. Uh, it aired February 22nd, 1968, starring Adam West as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. Burt Ward as Dick Grayson slash Robin, Neil Hamilton as Commissioner Jim Gordon, Stafford Rep as Chief O'Hara, Alan Napier as Alfred Pennyworth, and Yvonne Craig as Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl. Guest starring Victor Buono as King Tut, Victoria Vetri as Florence of Arabia, Jacques Mahoney as H.L. Hunter, Tony Epper as Tutlane, Kathleen Freeman as Rosetta Stone, Henny Youngman as Manny the Mesopotamian, and Joni Tata as Suleiman the Great. King Tut, currently undergoing psychiatric treatment at the Mount Ararat 
hospital with Dr. Denton, escapes during one of their regular sessions when his unending drone bores the doctor asleep. Tut rejoins his gang, Suleiman the Great, Florence of Arabia, and Manny the Mesopotamian, and they rob the Rosetta Stone Company blind of $47,000 and hide out at the Florence of Arabia Belly Dancing Club, closed due to a case of the stomach flu, run by Florence herself, Tut's new Queen of the Nile. Here he informs Manny and Suleiman that he has located a deposit of nilanium, the hardest metal in the world, directly beneath Wayne Manor, and he plans to use the stolen cash to buy an adjacent piece of property from real estate agent Manny and then blast a slanting shaft under the manor. After consulting with Rosetta Stone and the back computer, the Cape Crusader divines King Tut's scheme and also learns that his shaft is aimed directly at the back cave and that the batanium shield lining of the back cave might not withstand the blasting. After Telling the Cape Crusaderist Batgirl to rendezvous with them at Tut's Mine, Batman and Robin depart via a secret entrance through the subterranean Blue Grotto exit to prevent Tut from spotting the Batmobile. There's a lot of running a mile in three minutes and under, and I just have to say that not possible, especially with the way they are running, but hey, that's just me. Plus, capes create a lot of drag, you know, wind resistance. Meanwhile, Tut's mining foreman, H.L. Hunter, announces that they have struck something way too hard to break through with ordinary blasting. Tut believes they have struck Nelanium and proceeds to blast it out. Just then, the dynamic trio appear, ready and raring to apprehend the corpulent king, but Tut and his gang quickly hop into a nearby mining car and speed off down the tunnel. Wanting to preserve their secret identities, Batman and Robin prevent Batgirl from learning what lies within by having her remain behind to keep watch as they race down the tunnel. Oh, where's the trust, man? Unfortunately, Tut and his crew have already reached the end of the shaft and crashed right through into the Batcave. When Batman and Robin reach the bottom of the shaft, Tut and his men confront them with their knowledge of their true identities. Thank goodness there is something right with the world and a villain is not dumb that he puts two and two together. After a short bat fight, Batman spritzes the place with Batnesia gas to erase whatever memory of the Batcave uh, the Tutlings have, convenience, uh, and then orders Alfred to bring them to the front lawn. But Tut has already escaped up the tunnel during the battle, and the caped crusader and the boy wonder chase him in hopes of capturing him before he gets a chance to spill the beans, but all in a last to no avail. Just as the nefarious Nabob is about to announce the true identities of Batman and Robin, he is done in by his own loud voice, which vibrates rocks from the roof, which knock him unconscious. He comes to, reverts to his naturally scholarly self, and, to the dynamic duo's relief, has absolutely no recollection of his past experience. Oh, oh boy. And then, of course, we see some future nefarious schemes with the UFO and Joker. Oh, man. Puns and cliches plenty, and even Robin says that there isn't time for it, which is kind of interesting. Oh man, it's it seems to really be dragging now. And you know, I remember Michael Bailey really talking about this before when he was on just that they were reaching an end and I think that they realized that they were and it really seems like they've sort of hit bottom and and I wonder, you know, with like three episodes left, what can they do? What are they going to do? How is it going to wrap up? Um, I don't know. I I'm not taken with King Tut. I mean, some of it is pretty funny, but I guess I just really like, you know, the classic the classic villains and everything. But, you know, I think you do still have to... You just gotta say that, hey, this is 1960s Batman, and you gotta take it for what it is. 
uh, sometimes, you know, the commission, the chief, uh, though, really just seem like, oh, man, like Barney, Barney Fife and Andy, just two cops that really don't do anything substantial, uh, but they show up just to wrap things up in the end and, I don't know, be able to answer and call the red bat phone. Very interesting. So we've got some left. Let's see if Granny Walton makes an appearance on the next episode. Uh, our final segment, literature recommendation. And guess what? I'm actually back to reading books. I actually have a desire to try out uh, the Game of Thrones. There's actually like a long story attached with this. But I'm sort of on a... I, uh, do you ever get on like actor kicks where you... Maybe it's like the first time you've seen something with a particular actor. And then you're like, oh wow, I really like him or her. And then you decide to see a bunch of stuff with that person. So recently watched a movie with Helena Headey and which I had seen I guess the first movie I had seen with her is uh, 300 but I didn't really realize uh, that it was her because it was so long ago and now I've just been watching like different Lena Headey movies so I've seen um, The Cave which was weird and uh, The Broken which was also weird and then I made my friend Gerard watch it so I could discuss it with somebody it's actually very thought provoking and I liked it better the second time um, it, it's, if you like Twilight Zone, I think you would like it, but there are some weird questions that are sort of, like, unanswered. Uh, and I know that she's in Game of Thrones. I'm trying to think of what else here. Oh, and of course, Sarah Connor. The Sarah Connor Chronicles, uh, which I recently got at a discount eBay, so I, I'm going to try that out, but... I'm actually interested in this Game of Thrones, and I, you know, I texted someone and asked, you know, do you think I'd be turned off by some of the stuff that goes on, and, and I was told yes by, you know, watching it. So I thought, well, why don't I read the books instead, because that way I can sort of still enjoy it or at least try it, and then maybe if I really like them, I'll give it, give the TV show a go, and I would actually be somewhat mentally, emotionally prepared. And so, yes, so I decided I'm going to try the first book, and I know it's 800 pages, but then I had to double back and say to myself, wait a minute, I should probably read the final girl with the dragon tattoo novel, the girl who kicked the hornet's nest, and I did, it took me two weeks, it was actually a really quick, uh, I was just doing like either 50 to 100 pages and that was 800 pages as well so back to reading books was is my long that's there it is back to the beginning so the girl who kicked the hornet's nest by Stig Larson it, it's the final in the millennium trilogy I think it you know you had girl girl with the dragon tattoo girl who played with fire and then this one and you know Elizabeth is recovering in the hospital and uh, Mikhail is decides to investigate a lot with uh, the government and everything for the most part is is pretty well wrapped up I was disappointed that there weren't again you know the reason why I didn't as much enjoy the middle book is because you know Elizabeth and Michaela just weren't in it together it's just like two separate storylines and that's the same uh, thing that happened here is just sad at the end there's sort of a nice uh, tie up with them and, and Mikhail may have a good future which I totally called the girl that he was gonna get together with in the end but it was actually I think I liked it uh, better than the middle one but I, th I still think you know the first one even though it's probably the most disturbing is uh, is my favorite just because I like that their interactions and, and getting to know Elizabeth and seeing uh, seeing those two together so 
I mean, again, yes, I totally recommend it. I'm pretty sure I, I recommended Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, but, but with the caveat that you should be older and able to withstand what, you know, I, I just, I don't suggest someone under, you know, 17. If you watch R-rated movies, you should probably be 17 to read this as well. So, but I, I think they're good reads. And so next I'll be reading Game of Thrones. So I'll go into uh, DC with the uh, with the eighth grade, and I will be taking that with me. So hopefully I can survive the bus ride by reading that book. But yeah, so back to books, at least for a short time. And I'm looking forward to uh, trying something new. Remember to send any comments or questions to backrolloracle at gmail.com. And also be sure to look for that new feed either on iTunes or thebatmanuniverse.net. And actually, if you go over to podcasts, it's the one at the very top on thebatmanuniverse.net. So you can definitely check that out. And, and Dustin's been putting the old episodes up, so things should be there. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backworld Oracle, the Barbara Grimm podcast. Thanks also to TV.com for the episode summary for I'll Be a Mummy's Uncle. If you're going through some trials and tribulations, I uh, just want you to know that I have every bit of faith and confidence in your strength and abilities uh, that you can overcome them. And I know that there are tough times. It just as you know, we've witnessed with with Boston, but I think that all of us um, we're really tested. But I think it's possible to um, learn from these experiences. Not well. I don't know what sorts of things we can learn from such a travesty like Boston, but just learn from the trials that we're put through and grow from them. I think so. I just want you to take heart if you are going through some stuff. Know that you're not alone out there, and I'm thinking of you. So I may not know your name, but I'm certainly thinking of you. So uh, uh, take care, and hopefully if you're not in Colorado, some of the crazy, man, I wish I could have gone snowboarding this spring break, I have to say. But uh, if you're not over there in Minnesota and you're enjoying some of that warm weather, yeah, get out there and have fun and take care, and I will uh, talk to you guys soon. Looking forward to it. But until next time, fly on, Babs Lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Batgirl! Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you?